Well, welcome to Understanding Christianity. I am your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I serve as the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also teach theology, church history, Old Testament, New Testament, and various other courses at Colorado Christian University. I appreciate you listening to the podcast today. This summer, we are trekking through Paul's letter to Timothy. We're looking at the book of 1 Timothy, and so we're just going to dive right in. If you remember from the last podcast, we started chapter 4, where Paul addresses the fact that in the contemporary church today, as well as back in the time that Paul was writing, there are going to be false teachers, there's going to be demonic teachings, there's going to be all manner of falsehood and delusion happening in the life of the church. And so Paul encourages Timothy to be discerning as a pastor. And last week or last time that, you, uh, that we did this podcast, I encouraged you to also be discerning in these days in which we live. And so the entire context of the book of of 1 Timothy is dealing with these false teachers that had infiltrated the church at Ephesus, and Paul is writing back to the young pastor Timothy about how to lead, how to shepherd, how to guide the church in this particular situation. So we pick up in chapter 4, and we start in verse 6, where Paul is going to specifically address Timothy as a pastor and his pastoral role. Now, obviously, this is directed to Timothy specifically in the writing, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is scripture for the entire church. And so the principles that we see here apply to all believers. Now, they specifically apply to you if you're listening to this and you're a pastor or you're a leader or you're an elder or you're in some type of ministry leadership. These have very specific applications to you, but if you're just a lay person, a church member, member and you're not in any type of, of spiritual leadership in your church, these principles also apply to you. So let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we've have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In verse 6, Paul exhorts Timothy to put these things before 
the brothers. And we need to ask a question. What are these things that Timothy is to put before the brothers? Well, many scholars believe it's the immediate context of verses 1 through 5 about false teachers. I actually think it applies to the entire flow of what Paul has been teaching in the entire epistle. It could be the immediate context right before it, but I think in light of the entire body of work that Paul has been writing in 1 Timothy up to this point, Paul is getting very practical with Timothy and saying, listen, the things that I've been teaching you, you need to put in practice in the church. Be a good servant of Christ. I don't know about you, but whether you're a pastor or a leader or just a, a lay person, whatever type of, of Christian you are, you want and I want to be a good servant of Christ. As a pastor, I want to be an effective, good pastor, to be productive, to have purpose, to fulfill what God has ordained, what God has called me to be as his servant, what God has called you to be as his servant. So the primary question I want to ask, and I believe Paul answers it very thoroughly, is this, what exactly is a good servant of Christ? What should a good servant of Christ manifest in his or her life? What does one look like? This is a good opportunity for us to evaluate our ministry, our service, our leadership, regardless of where you serve in the church, in light of this passage of Scripture by asking the question, what does a good servant look like? Well, first of all, Paul says a good minister, a good servant is being trained in the words of faith and in good doctrine. That's there at the end of verse 6. Uh, this idea of being trained in the original language carries the idea of, of constantly nourishing, constantly feeding yourself on the words of faith, the scripture. It reminds me of what Paul says in Colossians three sixteen when Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell, dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, so again, everything starts with sound theology. Everything starts with being saturated in the scriptures. You and I cannot be good ministers. We cannot be good servants. We cannot be good leaders unless we are saturated, unless we are trained, unless we are immersed in God's holy word. Verses 7 and 8, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Now, we as pastors and leaders and teachers, we need to be very careful that we study and we exegete the scriptures and we understand the meaning in the original language and that we remain steadfast in sound doctrine and that our entire life is tied to the inspired text of Scripture. We don't want to get caught up in silly myths or wives' tales or tangents that will get us off target of being a good servant of Christ. And so instead of getting engaged in senseless myths and being wrapped up in worldly things and, and controversies and extraneous things and things that aren't tied to God's word, Paul says, Timothy, you need to train yourself 
for godliness. Train. This is in the present imperative. It's present tense, which means it's an ongoing action. It's in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. You would translate it, Timothy, I'm commanding you to keep on continually training yourself. And that word train in the original language is gymnazo. We get our word gymnasium from it. It means to exercise, to train, to exert diligent energy for the purpose of godliness. Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, Paul says, you know, physical training is of good value. I go to the gym myself almost every day here in Sterling. I try to work out, keep myself healthy, keep myself in shape. It's something I like to do. Paul says it's got good value. You need to take care of your body. You need to work out. You need to train. But he says godliness, training yourself for godliness, holds promise for this present life and this life to come. So above all, a good minister, now contextually remember Paul's addressing Timothy, and by extension pastors, but I think this can apply to all Christians who serve, you must be a person of character who cultivates godliness. Now, what exactly is godliness? That's a word that we use a lot. He's a godly person. We're training ourselves for godliness, to be like God. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. In other words, our goal in the Christian life is to look more and more like Jesus. God has predestined this to happen in our lives, and the Holy Spirit actively works in our hearts, in our lives, deep within us, to produce this godliness, to produce this Christ-likeness. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. We're being transformed into godliness. Now, here's the point that Paul's making. We need to put forth spirit-empowered effort to train ourselves, but yet God is the one who works in us to actually bring about the transformation. So, in other words, God's not going to do your daily devotion for you. God's not going to memorize scripture for you. God's not going to physically get you out of your, your bed and, and, and get you to church or get you to a small group. You have a responsibility, a command to train yourself. You have to pick up the tools God has given us in the means of grace like Bible reading and prayer and fellowship and, and listening to sermons and the Lord's Supper and being involved in small groups and discipleship. All the means of grace that God has given us, we are 
responsible to train ourselves in those, knowing all the while that God has planned for us in eternity past to be like Christ, and in the present, the Holy Spirit is transforming us to be like Christ. So it's not a a failed attempt. When we train ourselves for godliness, we know that God is working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose to be godly. Now, verse 10 says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. To this end we toil, we strive, we struggle, we exert energy. This this training ourselves for godliness is not a walk in the park. It is progressive sanctification. It requires blood, sweat, and tears to grow to be like Christ. You will go through trials. You will go through temptations. You'll go through periods of, of where you really don't want to grow. And Paul says, we toil, we strive. This is, this is a, a process to become godly. But what's the end? The end is... We'll see the salvation of souls. We'll see lives transformed. We'll see communities changed. We'll see the gospel penetrate to the ends of the earth. Paul says, listen, the the reason that we toil and strive as pastors and as leaders and as ministers for godliness and as we we serve the church and we serve the Lord, the the end game that we're we're hoping for, that that we long to see is God glorify himself through the salvation Because we have our hope set on the living God. There's hope in what we're doing that God is the Savior of people who believe. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 4 through 10, he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul went through a lot as an apostle for the gospel. Paul's telling Timothy, as a young pastor, you're going to go through a lot of toil and struggle as a pastor. If you're a pastor listening to this, you know you go through a lot. You struggle. You toil. If you're in any type of Christian leadership, you know this. You struggle. You toil. If you're a Christian who is wanting to serve the Lord faithfully, you understand this. You toil. You struggle. This word toil means to beat the breast and lamentation to be wearied from hard work. We get our word agonize from it. It means to fight in a contest as an Olympic event. So these two words together, toil and strive, clearly show us that being a good minister or training ourselves in godliness is a struggle. It's a fight that requires endurance and diligence. It requires grace. Now in verse 11... Paul says, command and teach these things. Again, this is a command. Paul's saying, Timothy, I'm commanding you to keep on continually 
as a lifestyle teaching these things. Now, again, here's the second time we have this word, these things. Again, I believe in light of all of Paul has taught in 1 Timothy, uh, this encompasses the instructions Paul's been giving. Paul's saying, Timothy, listen, you've got to be persistent in teaching. And sometimes as pastors, we, 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 re- we repeat ourselves a lot. I find myself, and I think that's purposeful. You know, the Bible only has a few themes and teachings that are repeated over and over again. They're told in different ways, through narratives, through law, through gospel, through writings, through apocalyptic. And so as pastors, we're very repetitive because the Bible's repetitive. And and so one of the goals of pastoral ministry is we've got to keep repeating. We've got to keep repeating. We've got to keep the, the truth before the people. We've got to keep reminding our people. We need to keep preaching the truth. And, and Paul says that to Timothy. You've got to keep teaching these things. And then he says, let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. Now, we don't know exactly how old Timothy was, but obviously he was a young man. And most scholars believe, if you, if you look at commentaries and scholarship, uh, some people believe he was probably in his late 20s or early 30s. Again, we don't know. But in that culture, that ancient Greek culture, and even in the Jewish culture, um, youth was looked down upon. And so Timothy had this hard task of, think about it, he as a young pastor had to confront false teachers, probably of men in the church who were older than him. And so there was a little bit of fear. There was a little bit of trepidation. Who knows if these false teachers were, were talking behind his back, oh, that Timothy, he doesn't, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't, he's a young whippersnapper. He's, you know, he's just this young guy that doesn't really know anything. He's not seasoned. Church, don't listen to him because he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, he's too young. And Paul says, listen, Timothy, God has appointed you to be the pastor for such a time as this, regardless of your age. And there's going to be people that look down upon you for your youth, and they're going to scorn you, and you're, they're going to despise you, but you need to set an example to the believers. Now, let me just speak to my listening audience, and maybe you're a young man. You're a young seminary student, or you're a young pastor. You're in your 20s, and you're just getting ready to go serve a church, or maybe you're serving a church now, and you struggle with this whole idea that, you know, I'm young. I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm fresh out of seminary. I'm fresh out of Bible college. I, I, I'm in this church with all these older seasoned people. Will they listen to me? When I stand up to preach, I feel so inadequate. I don't know how to lead. Let me just tell you, I've been there before. Um, when, when I first came to Emmanuel, I was a young man. I had never really done a funeral on my own. I'd never done a wedding um, I had done a lot of pastoral counseling before that when I was a youth pastor, obviously, but, but being the, the lead pastor comes with a lot of pressure. So I, I've been in your shoes before, and I just want to encourage you that your authority does not reside in your age. Your authority resides in your office and in your fidelity to the text. When you are faithful to the text, when you're preaching the Bible faithfully, 
and you're living a life of integrity, that's where your authority comes in the church. And there may be people that look down upon you because of your youth. They may think you're clueless. You don't know what you're doing. My encouragement to you is live a life of integrity where they can't bring any charge against you for your conduct and stay as faithful to the text as you can so that you can stand before your people with all sincerity, with a good conscience that you're accurately handling the word of truth. And so we need to understand Paul's slow of thought here. Paul's saying, listen, if you're immersed in the word of truth, if you're engaged in sound doctrine, and you're focused on being a good minister, if you're training yourself personally for godliness, if you're having confidence in the power of the gospel, your life is naturally going to be an outflow to others as an example. And I want you to think about how your life is an example to others. If you're a pastor, your life is definitely an example to others. Whether you like it or not, people are looking at your life, they're evaluating your life. But all Christians think about this. Somebody is looking at your life and looking at you as an example. It could be your children that are looking at you. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be a family member. You're an example. That's not the issue. The issue is whether you're an example or you're not an example. Every single Christian is an example. The question is, are you a godly good example or are you a bad example? Because you're an example whether you like it or not because there's always somebody looking at your life. And so Paul gives Timothy some specific areas in where he needs to be an example. So he says in speech, what comes out of your mouth? Evaluate your mouth, your tongue. Are you an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your overall lifestyle, the lifestyle choices you make, how you conduct yourself both publicly and privately? In love, how are you loving others? Are you expressing genuine love and hospitality and encouragement? In faith, I think the word faith here is not so much your personal faith in Christ as it is the faith, how you're holding fast to sound doctrine. Are you being an example in good doctrine and good teaching? And then in purity. Do you have pure thoughts? Is your life free from immorality? Are you pure? So think about those issues. And are you being an example? If you're a leader, are you definitely being an example in those, those things? And just any Christian in general, are you being an example in these areas? Now in verse 13, Paul gets very specific to public worship, to the public gathering of the church. He says in verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. This is the public ministry of the word. And the first thing Paul says there is to the public reading of Scripture. Now, this goes back to the synagogue system that Paul grew up in, that Jesus taught. And there was a practice inherited from both the temple and the synagogue where there would be the public reading of the Scripture. In the synagogue, they would publicly read from the Torah, from the the first five books of the Old Testament, and then there would be a reading from the prophets from maybe Isaiah, and then there would be an exposition. And so um, it was part and parcel of the synagogue worship to start the worship service with the public reading of Scripture. And so Paul says, Timothy, you need to do that. And so it's important, pastor, leader, that you have public reading of Scripture in the public 
worship service. That's why at Emmanuel, we start every worship service. One of our elders stands up and gives a public reading of Scripture followed by the prayer. We often have the public reading of Scriptures during the pastoral prayer. We publicly read Scripture. And it really sets the stage, the spiritual tone for the worship service. So when, when the scripture is read at the very beginning, it gets everybody's attention that we are here to bow ourselves corporately under the authority of the word that will subsequently be preached in an expository sermon. But we're getting our hearts ready to sit under the word. And then Paul says to exhortation. That, that's preaching. Most modern translations have the word preaching. It's exhorting, it's encouraging, it's systematic exposition of the word. And then Paul's third charge there involves teaching. So in a worship service, pastor, leader, you will have the public reading of the scripture and then there will be expository preaching and teaching. Now, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? There's two different words there. Preaching and teaching they go hand in hand, but there's a subtle nuance between them. All preaching needs to have an element of teaching. Teaching is more instruction. Teaching is geared toward the mind, towards conveying information, towards teaching concepts and truth. That will be included in your preaching. But preaching, exhortation, the way that word's used in the Bible, aims for the heart. It aims for the will. So in a good sermon, you're going to have a combination of information, but yet application and inspiration and motivation. You're aiming for the entirety of the person, their heart, their mind, their will, and emotions. And that's what Paul charges Timothy to do in the public worship as pastor. And then in verse 14, Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. Paul shifts the emphasis here and focuses on Timothy's spiritual gift. Don't neglect the gift you received, Timothy. Now, what exactly was this gift that Timothy had received? Well, we really don't know, but most scholars understand this to mean that Timothy had the gift of teaching because he was a pastor. And that Paul, along with the elders at Ephesus, remember back in Acts chapter 20, there's the council of elders that the council of elders, the, the leaders in Ephesus, so along with Paul, had laid hands on Timothy in somewhat of an ancient ordination-type service, but they had set Timothy apart for gospel ministry. And Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, you have been charged to lead this congregation, and you're not left to your own devices. God has empowered you with the spiritual gift. Don't forget that. When they're looking down upon you because you're young, when they're doing all this crazy stuff related to false teaching, remember that you have been commanded to teach, to preach, and God has equipped you with that spiritual gift. Now, hopefully, if you're a pastor listening to this, you have the spiritual gift of teaching. If you don't, you probably shouldn't stand up in front of people and preach and teach if you don't have that gift. But when we think about spiritual gifts, it gives us confidence in our ministry because we know we're operating in how God has equipped us. So when trials come, when difficulties come, when we get discouraged, when we don't see fruit, we can look back and say, listen, this may be a hard season of ministry, but God has equipped me. God has gifted me. This is my spiritual gift. I don't want to neglect that. I want to operate within my gifting. And so I'm sure Timothy was discouraged. He's a young pastor. These older... Um, 
False teachers are coming against him. His church is being ripped apart. he's, He's all alone. Paul's writing to him and says, Timothy, listen, you can do this. Not because it's you, but because God has given you a spiritual gift. Remember, we as elders came around you and we supported you and we encouraged you and we laid hands upon you and we sent you out and said, we see this gifting in you. There was the the gifting of the Holy Spirit to Timothy to be able to teach, but the the elders recognized that in in, in Timothy, and they affirmed that in him. And so Paul's saying, listen, don't neglect that. Don't forget that. You've got my backing. You've got the elders' backing. You've got God's backing. You can be equipped to lead. Well, in verse 15, just when you think Paul's through exhorting Timothy on all these commands, train yourself, preach sound doctrine, public reading of Scripture, Paul says in verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things so that all may see your progress. Practice these things, Timothy. Don't just make it a one-time thing. This is the third time the word these things has shown up. In other words, what Paul's saying is, listen, Timothy, in light of all that I've challenged you with, all that I've modeled before you, all that I've taught you, You can't just nod your head and acknowledge that you marked it down. Timothy, you've got to live it. You've got to make it a lifestyle. You have to continually train yourself for godliness. You've got to continually be a model to the believers. You need to continually teach and preach and encourage and immerse yourself in scriptures. You need to continually be a man of prayer, not once, not twice, but as a devoted lifestyle. There's an interesting Greek structure that's in the next phrase. It says, immerse yourself in these things. Literally, live in these things. Keep on continually living in the truths that I've been teaching you. And Paul gives something interesting. Why, Timothy? Why do you need to continually live in these things? It's a very interesting statement. So that others all may see your progress. Now, here's an interesting thought for us as pastors, elders, leaders. You know, sometimes in pastoral ministry, we're so concerned with seeing other people grow, other people be transformed. We pour all of our time and our energy and and discipling and encouraging and mentoring and counseling others. But notice what Paul says. Timothy, others, the entire church needs to be able to see your progress as a pastor, your progress as a Christian. And so the question that I often ask is, can my congregation see my progress in godliness? Do they see growth in me? Am I giving and giving and giving and pouring and pouring and pouring and spending so much time ministering to others that I don't have anything left? Or is my congregation saying, you know what? I'm seeing progress in Pastor Sean. I'm seeing growth in my pastor. It's a good question to ask yourself. Here's the scary truth. A church may never rise above the level of its pastor in its spiritual maturity. Think about that for a moment. Your church may never rise above the level of of the spiritual maturity of the leadership. So you need to be progressing. I need to be progressing. The people need to see our progress. And then verse 16 ties it all together. 
keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Keep a close watch. Fix your eyes upon, be guarded. Make sure you keep your eyes on two very specific things, Timothy, and by extension, pastors, and by extension, all Christians. First of all, yourself. Keep a close watch on your life. We are to be constantly examining our lives to see if we're progressing, if we're growing in godliness, if we're being a model to others, if we're making progress, if we're being transformed by Christ. Are you personally growing in your relationship with Christ in a lifestyle of holiness and transformed living for God? Secondly, keep a watch on your doctrine, on the teaching. You see, that's a crucial element for the pastor. We must be so focused on living a godly life and so saturated with God's word that we are holy, godly men who have integrity in our lives but also handle the word of God with integrity and honor and uphold the text of Scripture. So you really see two things come together here. A passionate, holy life of integrity and a burning dedication to sound doctrine. That's what makes an awesome weapon in the hand of the living God. Your life, your doctrine, and then Paul says, persist in this. Persist in this self-watch. Make it your chief aim to continually persevere vigorously and intensely watching your life and doctrine. Don't grow weary in this endeavor. And here's the amazing statement. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's an astounding verse when you think about it. I'm not saying here, and I don't think Paul's saying, people won't get saved if you're not a godly minister. Okay, God is sovereign over salvation. People are going to get saved by God's sovereign decree in the timing that God wants people to get saved. So it's not salvation by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, plus how good you are as a pastor in helping people get there. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. But I, I think it's very, very important that Paul is saying that your life as a pastor and your doctrine as a pastor are extremely important as one of the primary means that God uses in bringing people to salvation. God uses means. And what do I mean by that? I mean that people get saved through preaching, through teaching, through witnessing, through watching your life. And so is your life, is your teaching a barrier to people getting saved through the gospel? Or is your life and your doctrine a glorious means by which God saves people? Now again, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But I know this, in my own life, I don't want my lifestyle or my doctrine to be a hindrance to the gospel. I want it to be an ultimate help. I want to be used by God to bring people to salvation as means. Now, remember, this entire epistle is in the context of false teachers. Now, think about the opposite of these two issues. 
What's a false teacher in light of what we've just seen? The exact opposite. A false teacher who has an unethical, ungodly life and who preaches false doctrine are not means of bringing salvation to anyone. Instead, they divide and they destroy the church. So whether you're a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a ministry leader or whether you're a lay person or you serve in some capacity in the church or you're just listening to this and, and, and you're just a faithful Christian, you need to train yourself for godliness. You need to be an example to others. You need to immerse yourselves in sound doctrine and you need to practice these things as an ongoing basis for your life. And so the, the key word here would be consistency. Are you consistent in doctrine? Are you consistent in godliness? Are you consistent in your lifestyle? Are you consistently being an example? I'm not saying perfectly because we're all going to fail. We're all going to stumble from time to time. But the overall tenor of the teaching of this passage is we need to persist. We need to continue through God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to be godly, good servants of Christ. So I pray you take this message to heart and you faithfully serve as a good minister of Christ. Well, again, I thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I count it a privilege every time to come in and record these podcasts to be a benefit and edification to you. If these podcasts have helped you, I would sure love you, love for you to share this on your social media platforms with those that you think would be helped by it. You can go to seancole.net to find all of my contact information. You can go to the Understanding Christianity homepage on Facebook. You can uh, message me through Facebook or Twitter. Uh, you can email me. Uh, I'd love for you to go on iTunes and give us a positive review and rating. That would tremendously help us. And so until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. And would you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? Jesus.